This morning, I want to talk to you about the mission and the vision of Christ Church. But before I launch into talking about the mission of Christ Church, and by that I mean uh, all of, of God's church, his bride, uh, there are many local expressions of that, but his, his church, the mission, before I talk about that, I want to talk just briefly about one of the marks of the church. Well, just one of the marks of the church. And one of those marks comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Has anyone gone to a wedding this summer? Yes, you have. If it was a Christian wedding, it was probably read all of 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Love is what? It's, it's patient. It's kind. It is, it's not rude. It doesn't keep uh, you know, a, a record of wrongdoing. We actually went a couple of years ago, uh, one summer, our church, we actually studied through that whole chapter and just broke it all down because it actually is written to the church and not to some lovely couple ready to be married it, it's, a, it's applied to the church because we are supposed to love one another, right? You know, and of all of those, which one's hardest for you? I think for a lot of people, it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love hopes all things. Or in some translations, it believes all things. Love hopes all things. You know why that's hard? I think it's hard because sometimes we don't know everything. No, all the time. We don't know everything. And then we have to relate to one another in the church of Christ. And then there are gaps. There are, are places where we don't know or we don't understand or we think that we know. And then we have this gap and we fill that in with suspicion and, and cynicism or, or something else. And, you know, that's just part of the struggle is that instead of assuming the worst when that gap exists, love hopes the best. Not assuming the worst, but hopes the best. Love hopes all things. I'm saying this to you this morning, if you're in leadership here in this church, I'm saying this to you who are maybe disappointed or struggling. I say this to you who think you're in the know and you have all the answers. I'm saying this to you this morning, if you feel confused. I'm saying this to you this morning, if you are prone or tempted to gossip, or maybe you're tempted to hear and receive gossip. Love hopes all things. God loves you. You know that? I, don't, I, I hope you're not tired of hearing that. I, I, I hope that you're not tired of hearing that Christ loves his church. He loves his bride so much. God loves you. God is love, and love Hopes all things. Love hopes all things. That's my first point. Well, this is going to be a short sermon, isn't it? Well, that's not my first. I didn't say it was my first half. It's the first point this morning. That's one of the marks of Christ's church is love, right? Now, the second one is the mission, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. The mission of Christ Church. What is the mission of Christ Church, and where would we find it? Well, the mission of Christ Church, what is it? Is it to gather a bunch of like-minded people who are sharing life's journey to be happy? Maybe it's a, a group of people that get together because they want their kids to be safe and secure, and they want to pass on some morality, and we want to be you know, an enclave of people who protect ourselves from bad people and bad news. What's the mission of Christ's church? To support each other in our calling and hopefully keep our kids active and off drugs someday. What, what's the mission of Christ's church? I hope none of those things 
Our mission as Christ's church is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make, shape, recruit, seek followers of Jesus. And that happens to be here and also elsewhere. I think a lot of this sermon is based on a message that I heard a number of years ago, maybe seven or ten years ago, from one of my friends and professors, Richard Pratt, and it greatly encouraged me. And I think it's important to talk about vision because... It, well, for a lot of reasons, because, you know, anytime you have an institution, whether it's beginning or continuing or in transition, whether it's a relationship or an endeavor or a project or, or even a marriage, right? It's important to have a vision, isn't it? Now, of course, you know, young people get married and they read the First Corinthians passage and they go through all the rigmarole and they say to themselves, all we need, then we don't need a vision. All we need is love, baby. <laughs> all, that's what we need. And then you find out you're pregnant. And we need to have a vision, you know, we need to have, we need to have some plans. We, you know, there is something on the horizon here that we need to be prepared for, that we need to be, uh, you know, in unison about. We need a vision. I mean, we all know this. I mean, we see it right now, right? It's, it's happening as we speak all around us. There are college uh, football teams, okay? I know I'm not in the South where it's, you know, it's big, but... But, you know, sports teams, everything's getting up off the ground, whether it's hockey or whatever, and we're all rallying together. And you can hear the coach right now saying, let's come together. Here's the vision, guys. Here's the vision, gals. We're going to district. We're going to regionals. We're going to the championship. Can you see that trophy? That's the vision, right? Come on, rally team if you would. Now, I happen to coach U10 soccer, and it's it's not because I have any skill. Uh, and, uh, in fact, it's... I, it's only because they're, uh, you know, I, I know how to yell and I know how to organize, and uh, and I, you know, I don't really have, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, expertise or talent in soccer, but you know, a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night we got together all the coaches and they have to do a draft. What is this? You know, I'm new to this. They go through and they have the whole list and the roster of all the kids signed up, and they start kind of, you know, describing: Are they an A player? Are they a B player? Are they a C player? I don't know why. Every time they mentioned that someone's a C player, they had to say something nice. You know, it's like. Well, he's got a good family. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's, you know, Stevie, you know, he's got a, he's got a good attitude. Uh, you know, Mikey, you know, he tends to overheat, you know, about halfway through the game. And, you know, there were all these little interspersed comments. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I don't know that I want any of those kids. But I was surprised that several of the coaches picked some of them up. And I thought, man, they must have some kind of vision that I don't have for these kids or some type of, of confidence. And I know I don't have that confidence. In fact, I almost looked at my team yesterday, uh, you know, before the game said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you've got me. Um, I mean, honestly, after five years of being a weary church planter, I want to look at my congregation and say, I love you, but I'm sorry that you are stuck with me. But churches aren't stuck with leaders. The church isn't stuck. The church is blessed with God's promises. Christ's church is blessed. Later in Matthew, we read that Christ will build his church. We have his spirit. We have his word. We have the means of grace. It's a beautiful thing. Where would we get this kind of vision it's a beautiful thing to think of. It's a compelling thing. And, you know, we need a big enough vision that 
is compelling. We need, a, we need a vision as Christ's church that is big enough and it's compelling enough so that on the hard days we would persevere. We need a vision that's big enough that we would pass on to our children. And where would we get that vision? Well, you might think it's a little strange, but I think that we would find that vision amongst other places in Matthew chapter 6. Hear this. This is God's word. Matthew 6, verse 9. This is the Lord's prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You notice that, I mean, this is where we would get a vision. This is, this is where we would get a vision. I know it seems strange, but this is where we would get a vision. No, but here's the thing. I think so often the vision that we get, the time and point, because every Sunday at our church we say the Lord's Prayer, and I think it's the point at which that we, we come most cognizant, if we are, of what we're saying, is when we get into that latter portion of the Lord's Prayer, give us this daily bread. Lord, we need your help. You know, we need, we need you. I need that promotion, you know. We, we need you to come through on the, on the kids' tuition. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, forgive us. I... I I messed up again, Lord. I, I, uh, I, I need your grace. I need your... And, oh, and lead us not into temptation. Lord, help me be better today than I was yesterday. If that's your vision for your life, hey, that's not so bad. If that's your vision, there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great starting point. In fact, if you're here today and that's not your vision, it ought to be because I would love for you to know Christ. Come to Jesus. He is our redeemer. He is our maker and our sustainer. Come to Christ. But I would say, because what's the common denominator amongst all of those? Give us, forgive us, lead us. But what do we have in the top half? That's the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer, but what do we have in the top half? I think that's, that's where we get the most compelling vision. Because I don't want to just augment our life with Jesus. I want to say, what's Jesus' vision? Because the Lord's Prayer by the way, is a great outline. In fact, if you're praying for other people or you're praying for other needs, it's a good thing to even pattern a prayer after what Jesus has laid out here in Matthew 6. But it's not primarily instructions on how to pray. We're not just getting, you know, a helpful set of instructions or guidelines for what prayer should look like. We're actually getting Christ's vision. Does that make sense? He's actually conveying a lot more than just instructions. He's saying, this is my desire. This is what Holy Trinity would have. It's what he has in mind. Let's break it down a little further. I've got two headings uh, this morning. One is go wide and the other is go deep. Again, I don't know anything about coaching, but (laughs) there you go. Go wide because we need to have a revision of our vision, a wider vision. With instructing us to pray this way, uh, we first think here of our, what do we say? We say, what does it say? Verse 9. This is how you our Father. That's a beautiful thing. If we, if we repent and believe, then Christ is our brother. We've been adopted. We've been made, even though enemies of God, we've been made children of God, and we can call him Father. That's, that's a glorious vision. That's a, that's a beautiful reality. But, I mean, if you, were, if you were part of Islam, though, you would never say that. Ever. Never would you ever say, our Father. That is way 
too personal. For Allah is transcendent and not close or personal in any way. It would be irreverent. It would be rude, offensive to refer to God as our Father. Now, I don't think, by the way, in Western Christianity or in our culture and context, that that's our problem. In fact, it's, it's usually at the other end of the extreme when we approach God like, like he's, you know, a sugar daddy. Like, he, you know, you know he just, he's just going to bless us, and if we just pray enough times, and, you know, and by the way, he probably just up in his heavenly rocking chair like a granddaddy, just wringing his hands, wondering, what can I do to, to enhance their life and bless them so much that they'll just love me and give me a little more attention? Right? That's not God. You know, even in the ancient Near Eastern world and in, in, in their particular context, to refer to the emperor oftentimes was to refer to him as a father. But we get both of these. We understand, of course, that God is our heavenly father and we enjoy his, uh, his favor as, uh, as children. But I don't think we ought to think about him quite like that because we also go on to say, who art in heaven? Right? His, imagine his throne room. Imagine the, the, the glory that we are still his servants. We don't, we, we don't have any categories for that because we don't think of a monarch, right? We don't think about an emperor or a king because we live in a culture and a context. We live underneath a government that we think is what? By the people and for the people. When we think about our governing leaders, we think of them and we say, you know what? They have power and, and they have position because we give it to them, right? And, it, you know, and quite frankly, if we don't like their their policies, or we don't, we don't like their practices as a leader, then we can get them out, right? But it's not that way with God. We don't press that on the divine king. In fact, that's why we say next, hallowed be your name. Holy, that's what it means, set apart. You know, just imagine, if you want to talk about a vision, that one that is compelling, one that's, you know, it's, 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 it's quite overwhelming is think about what, what Isaiah saw when, when he got just a glimpse into that throne room of heaven. And what does he see in cherubim and angels and others gathering around, yelling forth, holy, holy, holy. And what does he do? Well, we don't know what he did, but we know what he said. What did he say? Woe is me. My guess is, though, when he said that, woe is me, I would only imagine that he covered his mouth. He he was overwhelmed at the sight of the vision of the majesty of the glory of God. I'm one of these people that loves um, reunions. You know, when when people are reunited. And and I love surprise parties too. And when the two of those come together, I mean, it is so cool. It's beautiful, wouldn't you say? I, I was in the Atlanta airport just a couple of week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's a set of escalators. If you come off of any flight other than Delta, you basically everybody just channels up this one set of escalators. And at the top, there's usually a group of people waiting with signs or you know chauffeurs or whatever. And then there's a, there's also a chapter of of the USO. And when I was there that afternoon, there was a a, a large group of people with balloons and cameras, and uh, there was about to be this sweet reunion from someone who came back who was deployed. And as they made their way up the escalator, I just turned around and I just sat there. Now, I don't have a clue who these people are. 
But I, I mean, I got emotional. Have you ever had this moment? I mean, you watch these videos, right? And it's, it's overwhelming. It, you, you, you rejoice and you stop for a moment thinking about yourself. You ever, you ever have a vision, a glimpse like that in view? And you know what? You stop thinking about criticisms at work this week. And you stop thinking about your clothes. And you stop thinking about your new haircut. You stop thinking about your next vacation or or whether your team won or lost the game yesterday. Friends, Jesus is coming back and it will be a surprise. And it will be overwhelming. It is so beyond what we could even fathom. And so our vision of God and our vision of God's kingdom that goes wider, that is bigger, is why we sing, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because we want his kingdom to expand. And by the way, if you want to envision, because so much of God's kingdom, of course, now is, is invisible. And, and, and where is it? Where is it? You know, where is it located, right? You know, it's, you know, it used to be like the glory of God followed around with this Shekinah glory cloud. And, but where is the glory? Where is, where is the, the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever the king is recognized and people live in submission to him in their own hearts and lives, their priorities. It's in your home. It's, it's, it's in your priorities. It's in your choices where we show allegiance to the king. Now, the kingdom, of course, is already, Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, but at the same time, it's not yet in its fullness. In the fullness of that consummation. The day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you live underneath that, that kind of vision? I mean, we get little glimpses of it. Can you see the king in the kingdom? Let me, let me ask you a question. If you were to go to your colleagues, your neighbors, your, your friends, those, those in your life who are not yet followers of Jesus, and you were to say to them, hey, listen, you know, like, what's your vision of a good life? What, what's, a, what's your idea of a good life? One that is worth living. You know, what, what's your vision of a good life where at the end you'd say, you know, I'm glad I lived that one. Well, I don't know exactly what they would say, but I think for a lot of people in the South Shore, it would be something like this. You'd go to them and say, what's a good life? They say, well, a good life is I would probably get a decent career so my parents wouldn't be embarrassed and they'd be glad for all the money they invested in my preparation and education. Um, I'd, you know, I'd like to get married someday. I'd like to not get divorced more than one or two times. I'd like to have... I'd like to have a couple of kids, and I'd like for them to be, you know, a little bit better athlete than I am, which is not hard here. Uh, I'd like for them to be socially well-adjusted. I, you know, I, I'd like to be able to enjoy a, a good week or two of vacation every year. I'd, while we're on the subject, I'd like to get season tickets to the Patriots. And that's pretty hard because they've been sold out since 1994. But for $100, by the way, you can get on that waiting list. For all of you Patriot fans, I'm glad you just woke up. Uh, but just tarry with me, right? Imagine this vision. And then we say, and that, that neighbor would probably say something like, and, well, we all have to die. And I'd like to die with relatively no pain in my sleep 
at the ripe old age of 99. And when I die, I'd like to go to heaven if there even is such a place. And I'd like to think that when I get there, God would basically agree with me that I'm morally good enough to get in. Now, if you were to ask, track with me, if you were to ask the average follower of Jesus that same question, how would it differ? Well, I'm sure it would differ right at the end because we'd say, well, I know for certain that Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to sprout wings and fly away and my soul will sparkle and I'll sing praise songs in heaven for the rest of my life. Which, by the way, sounds really boring. Let's be honest. But that's our vision, right? But friends, heaven is not our goal. Heaven is the standard. And the vision that we have in the Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. The new heavens and the new earth is that vision that is held out for us. When, when, when justice will be restored, when all things wrong will be made right, where there will be no more conflict or cancer or pain or anything. Bitterness, can't strife. We enjoy a refined earth. We, we reign with Christ. People are gathered together from every culture, tongue, tribe, nation, worshiping God. That's a vision. That's a vision we're dying for, maybe even worth living for. It's a vision that's bigger than ourselves. It's a, big, it's a vision that's bigger than our family or our church family and congregation. It extends to the ends of the whole earth. So let me just say a few words about going deeper. If that's going wide in our vision, then we need to go deeper. And there are some implications, I believe, for our mission as Christ's church. If that's our vision, it will affect our day-to-day mission and responsibilities and calling. Here are just a few things. Number one, that we practically, that we would press deeper into prayer. Prayer for the Holy Spirit. Prayer for God's Spirit to grab us individually and corporately in our community. Recently, I was, uh, I was reading, and this is piercing. Uh, John Owen, great Puritan writer, said, a minister may fill his pews. This is, this, is, this is to folks like me. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. But the same, and bear with me, Southward Baptist, could be said of the church. The church, and you, you should have seen this coming because... Part of the vision of the church is based out of the Lord's prayer. But my friends, a church, even if filled and even if prospering in some measure, on its knees before the Lord Almighty, that it is and nothing more. The other thing I would say is I think we need to move by way of implication for our mission is deeper in relationships that we would be proclaiming and living the gospel that we would be inviting people. Would you come with me and consider the claims of Jesus? Would you read the scriptures with me? Would you come with me to church? Another thing I would say is that we need to go deeper in our priorities, deeper in our kingdom priorities. 
If our, vet, our, if our vision it just includes safety and stability and security, then all we're going to do is hoard and save and preserve our time. Remember, the vision is of the king. And we're, we're, we're his servants. We're living for, for him. So we need to live as the church, making the visible, excuse me, making visible the invisible church in the way that we deal with our money, the way that we talk, the way that we, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we handle things, sex, power, success, happiness. We're doing God's will at that point. Which, by the way, we heard it read this morning in First Thessalonians. God's will, because we all like to say, what's, my, you know, what's God's will for my life? What's God's big vision for me? Or, you know, what, what's the big plan? You know, when you're at the ambitious, you know, dreamy kind of phases of your life, maybe, or particular turns, what's, what is that? God's will isn't something that we discover. Like if, if it's some kind of veiled, mysterious, you know, shake this ball up. kind of God's will is not something that we discover as much as something that we do. We're making God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom visible, hopefully. And that, by the way, that impact will be that the kingdom of God will expand. You know, after the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, after John, 20 or 30 years later after him, there is this letter. This, there's, this, there's this document that's kind of preserved in Christian history. And it's an epistle. It's a letter. It's not part of, obviously, the scriptures. Uh, it was written much later, but not too much later. And it says this. It's, a, it's called the Epistle to Diognetus. Uh, Diognetus, excuse me. And th- Diognetus was this, was this person who was not a, a believer, not a follower of Christ, but it was intrigued by the explosion of early Christianity. And someone wrote to him, and this is what they said, and it's a paraphrase, but it says this, let me explain to you why Christianity is spreading so fast. Christians busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They live in their own native lands, but they live as aliens, for every foreign country is to them as their native land, and every native land as their foreign country. They marry and have children, but they don't kill unwanted babies. They share their table with everyone, but they don't share their bed with everyone. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of everything. They are treated outrageously, but, have, but behave respectfully. They are mocked and blessed in return. When they do good, they are attacked. When they are attacked, they rejoice as, it, as if being given new life. Friends, it's only with a, a wider vision that we will go deeper on mission. But, you know, when we think about that and we think about what it looks like to live counterculturally with the hope that it would actually make some kind of impact, I know it's hard. It's, it's, it's you know, it feels like in New England that we're on the losing team. New England doesn't like being on the losing team. But I'm saying as the church, it feels like sometimes we're on the losing. Does anyone follow Christ? This, you know, like, where is this, this kingdom? It's, it can be discouraging. I was a couple weekends ago up in the city doing a wedding, and uh, it was in this, this, this chapel connected to a church, not even hardly a block off of the Boston Common. Beautiful Gothic architecture, vast. One of the priests who was there walked me in, and she was explaining uh, you know, some of the, the history. And I looked at this vast 
sanctuary was bigger than this, had a whole balcony. And, uh, and she says, yeah, but, you know, we, we actually don't worship in here in the summer. I said, oh, really? I mean, is there like a problem with the AC or something? She said, oh, no, 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 no. She's like, we don't, we don't have enough people. So we, we worship over in the chapel where we're about to do the, the wedding service that you're going to perform. Oh, really? And I counted how many chairs were in there, and it was less than 70. Which is kind of discouraging to think because over 100 years ago, it would have been a vastly different story. But friends, don't be discouraged. The king is on the throne. And revival can take place. And in fact, revival is taking place in other parts of the world, in India, in Pakistan, places like China, parts of Latin America. People are coming to Christ in the thousands and being baptized into his church. It's a beautiful thought. What's your vision? What's your vision for your life, your family, your church, your involvement here at this church? Well, I hope it's a desire to see people's lives like my desire is changed spiritually, culturally, socially, in every way when we equip men and women to live the gospel in every area of life and to proclaim the gospel to all the people around them. In other words, you know, and and that's just it because we don't see transformation until the gospel takes root in people's hearts and their lives The gospel changes lives, it changes families, it changes communities. It's a beautiful thought of Christ being worshipped, that churches churches gather, plural, churches being planted and multiplied for the glory of God. Where addictions are broken, where marriages are mended, where enemies are reconciled, where poor people are fed, where lonely people are befriended, where justice is restored, where children are nurtured, and most of all, where Jesus is worshipped. That's a vision worth living for. It's, it's one worth investing in, I think, and giving of ourselves. Because it's not about us. Friends, love hopes all things. And the kingdom is a lot bigger than we think. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray with you and for you. Father, Lord, help us right now to live more. Would you help us to live more in the top half of your prayer? And I pray that you would accompany this church, this body, with the power of your spirit, that you might encourage them as they seek to fulfill the mission with great faithfulness, not just during this season or the next, but for generations to come. Would you grant them a vision, Lord, that is compelling as they serve, as they wait, as they teach? Would you grant them great love, love for you and love for one another, a love that's patient and hopeful, a love that's free from pride and presumption and cynicism? Lord, would you fill them? Would you fill our church with your vision? We love you. We pray in your son's name, Jesus. Amen.